Welcome to Public Worship and the Christian Life, a podcast by the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship. In this series of conversations, hosted by Calvin Institute of Christian Worship staff members, we invite you to explore connections between the public worship practices of congregations and the dynamics of Christian life and witness in a variety of cultural contexts, including places of work, education, community development, artistic and media engagement, and more. Our conversation partners represent many areas of expertise and a range of Christian traditions, offering insights to challenge us as we discern the shape of faithful worship and witness in our own communities. In this episode, Philip McKinley, co-founder of Discovery Gospel Choir, an intercultural ensemble that reflects the newfound cultural and ethnic diversity in Ireland, shares with Maria Corneau on how the pandemic created new opportunities for unity and blessing among the people of Ireland and beyond in unimagined ways. Today, it is my pleasure to interview Philip McKinley, joining us from Dublin, Ireland. Philip is an ordinant, which is a candidate to be ordained in the Church of Ireland, an Anglican church. Philip is a songwriter and the co-founder of the Discovery Gospel Choir, an intercultural ensemble that reflects the newfound cultural and ethnic diversity in Ireland. Philip has worked extensively in faith-based reconciliation and social initiatives for the Irish Council of Churches. Thank you very much, Philip, for being with us today. Thank you so much, Maria. My first question for you is about your context, the context, the context of your ministry uh, framed by the larger context of the situation in Ireland. Could you share a little bit with us? Yes, well, as, a, as an ordinand, all our studies were, have been paused for six months, physical studies, and obviously we've continued them online. And then the church that would be my home church has continued online services and everything has just moved online. And only really in the last two months has there been some return to physical worship. But that even they're saying now tomorrow, the government is going in my uh, city is going to lock that down again. So the churches are going to be closed again. So we're just in this time of peaks and troughs and waves of the virus. Has the virus hit very hard in your city, in your context? Uh, which has been the main challenges that uh, especially congregations ha has have to face? Well, I mean, I think much the same challenges as, as everyone else of confusion and isolation and job loss. I mean, I hear certain statistics that suggest Ireland has had it easier than other countries, others that suggest then at certain times our, our infection rate is higher than other countries um, on a European basis because we're at the edge of Europe. I mean, Italy obviously was very high profile, first largest figures in Europe, and then followed by Spain and then France and then the United Kingdom. But it never kind of crashed the healthcare system here. But obviously, I mean, our, about a half a million people became unemployed. That was 23% of the workforce. Wow. And there's just such huge changes and there's whole sectors. I mean, as a very small little aside, a wonderful, beautiful retreat center run by the Christian Brothers 
example, the Emmaus or retreat center yesterday announced its closure because, and that, that would be a center for lots of different Christian activities and conferences and everything. So, and then there's no doubt churches themselves are going to be closing and huge implications and probably the effects of that have not been felt properly yet. And there's shockwaves that are still going to come in waves again and again. It's unbelievable how the world has changed and all the challenges we have to face. But at the, at the same time, all this new situation has created new opportunities to do ministry in a new way, to respond in a very creative ways. And I know that you have been involved in some of these very creative responses. Well, there was a, a big project that emerged from the United States. Carrie Jobe wrote a song called The Blessing just before COVID broke out across the world. And it, it was picked up by, I understand, a group of churches first in, in northern Brazil, northeastern Brazil, and then Pittsburgh churches in Pittsburgh came together and released this song, The Blessing. And then at the end of April, when it was locked down in South Africa, the whole of South Africa created this, uh, churches across South Africa created this South African blessing, and that caused a domino effect all over the world. There's about 46 or 47 international versions, the UK blessing, the Latin American blessing, the Cuba blessing, the Australia blessing. So I was involved with the Irish blessing, but we are the only one out of those 47 that used a different song. Uh, and the, the reason we did this is because there are so many ancient Irish blessings we felt it was really difficult. Well, it was much more cohesive and unifying to work with something that was in our shared ancient history. So we went, we used Be Thou My Vision. Mm -hmm. And then we, we developed a new arrangement with a wonderful composer, Jonathan Ray, who runs New Irish Arts and would have a very strong connection with the Gettys. And Jonathan did a, a wonderful composition on the famous words of St. Patrick's Breastplate, which was this prayer of protection, Christ be with you, Christ behind you. Mm -hmm. And then we did the ironic blessing at the very, very end, because the whole of this movement, the blessing from Elevation Worship was based on number six and the ironic blessing. So we did both it in some of the indigenous languages here in Ireland, and then we did in some of the new languages that are new to Ireland. The whole thing has been viewed over a million times. So it was ultimately a prayer. Churches, over 300 churches took part in it. And it was a prayer of protection for Ireland and for our frontline workers. But it seemed to have caught the public imagination as well, which has been incredible. Uh, yeah, I, I watched the recording. It's beautiful and it will be shared. The link, of course, for yeah. our students to, um, to watch it also. And it, it seems in the video that it represents a variety of congregations and cultures. Could you tell us more about the ecumenical perspective of this initiative? Yeah, but this is, you know, I have worked in across Christian denominations. You mentioned the Irish Council of Churches there. And I, so this has been my heart's work for about 20 years. And I managed to connect with an incredible peace activist in West Belfast from a very kind of famous street called Falls Road. And his name is Father Martin McGill, an incredible Catholic priest. And last year, he spoke at the funeral of a journalist that was murdered in Northern Ireland. And her name was Lyra McKee. She was a 29-year-old journalist. And all the politicians, uh, Theresa May, the then British Prime Minister and all the Northern Irish politicians and Irish politicians all gathered. And in the front row, the Northern Irish political institutions at the time had not been functioning. And he, he said, 
famous words, why in God's name does it take the death of a young woman to bring you politicians together? And it got this standing ovation and this, this famous, <laughs> these famous words went worldwide and it broke a deadlock and lo and behold, the politicians got back dialoguing together. So we kind of use this phrase, you know, our, our heart's passion was, is for this unity, but something happened within COVID that allowed a unity in a way that we could never have imagined. So there was an engagement with a spectrum and breadth of churches that we just had, had not happened before. There was a Kairos moment of the Holy Spirit to capture something, to gather people together. And, and that was evident in a lot of the international blessings. It's incredible seeing the churches that work together. The UK blessing was the one that kind of inspired us. And, and just to see, because they literally list, listed the churches each church in each individual frame. We, we were only able to list ours on the website because we had, we had so many churches mm-hmm. contribute. But it's an incredible list from incredible places. And that was mind-blowing. And whether we can achieve that again in a post-COVID world, I don't know. But there was definitely this window, this God moment that was so exciting to grasp. Which means a lot in your uh, particular context. I know that church unity is, is the goal everywhere, but you have a particular history. And I'd like to ask you if you can briefly share the, what is behind this effort of being united in these times. I mean, there's many dimensions to our division, but on a very simple basis, There are many islands around the world, but there's only a handful of islands that are divided, like Cyprus or like Timor. And Ireland is a politically divided island into a Protestant majority north that's still part of the United Kingdom and a republic south that is majority Catholic. And religion... That is where you are. I'm a a Protestant minority in the the Catholic majority south Mm -hmm. uh, or the republic. And vice versa, my colleague, Father Martin, is a Catholic minority in the Protestant majority north. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was also important for how we worked cross-border. So we, we live in a, in a divided, politically divided island with religion, a huge part of the complexity of our country and religious history. You know, the incidents of violence and, you know, near civil war as a result of some of the complex mixing of religion with politics, with culture, with identity is just just a huge part of our, of our narrative and our struggle and our quest. And therefore, where, when we saw these other countries gathering different churches together, it was inspiring, but there was another layer of challenge that we had to overcome, which is, is our historical challenges. So there was something. Something of, I can only describe it, of the Holy Spirit that just blew something beyond our wildest imagination in terms of engaging in a way that churches had never engaged. And like I say, being involved with this work for 20 years, I'd never been able to be involved in something like this before. So COVID opened a window. Yeah, I love that you mentioned this because I, I said in the, when I introduced it to you that you are involved in reconciliation efforts and your country has been through near three decades of armed conflict yes, yeah. uh, involving political division, but also religion differences. So if you compare this, this unique opportunity now in the COVID with the efforts you were doing before that in terms of reconciliation, what are the main differences you perceive? It's hard to tell because the other the other challenge now is knowing what of the pre-COVID world is coming back and what <laughs> what what is post-COVID world. True. Um, 
I mean, there were opportunities uh, and there were some miraculous things were, were able to happen through COVID because, it, of course, it was a kind of bigger cause and a totally different dynamic to identity politics or to, you know, this this goes way beyond tribalism. And sometimes you need a, a common cause or something that's beyond yourself to rally behind. And it forces you to the core of who you are. And the, the other, another kind of profound question is whether it drew people closer to their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, evidence suggests that definitely COVID caused people to, to move beyond surface level identities and practices and thoughts to asking the deeper levels of deepest questions of life and faith. And, you know, the, the, on one level, this people are wondering, will this result in a, a renewal movement or a, a new beginning for church and for the Christian churches? Or not, because will they all, you know, not last the financial implications of this and all be closed? So I think there are optimists and there are pessimists. And mm-hmm. the optimists at the moment can dream dreams that you, you would have uh, described them as, you know, in need of medical assistance uh, if they'd have articulated their dreams. But actually, these dreams are within grasp, within reach at the moment. But on the other hand, you can't lose sight of the pessimists either, so mm-hmm. it's very hard to know. You are listening to Public Worship and the Christian Life, Conversations for the Journey, a podcast produced by the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship. Check out our website at worship.calvin.edu for resources related to this topic and many other aspects of public worship. mentioned the use of the ironic blessing in in the song you recorded can you identify any other uh, bible verses or passages from the scripture that have been relevant or more uh, broadly used in these particular times of crisis in the irish context in the irish context it's hard for me to to name one i mean be not afraid and mm-hmm. you know there the, there's no doubt you know, people are just confronted in in a new way with their, a whole set of value questions, their family, their faith, their beliefs, prayer. And it, it's hard to hook it on one sort of single mm-hmm. thing. I mean, our experience was that the, the ironic blessing actually was that this very powerful, this very powerful tool. And, and actually the concept of blessing, which is mm-hmm. a beautifully biblical concept. And of course, humans bless god god blesses humanity but you know the lots blessing operates in lots of different dimensions of blessing and one of the things that we found powerful with blessing was that it's uniquely something that the church can bestow upon society it's not something that is a preserve an exclusive preserve of the government or the economy so it was something that was a kind of USP, a unique selling point of, of church offering to the public square. Also, you can offer a blessing and it's up to the recipient whether they wish to receive or not, but it's not a kind of aggressive or offensive. And we suggested in that blessing, the Irish blessing, that each local church, because every local church prays every week for their local community, and therefore blesses the local community that they identify a local service that was on the front line dealing with COVID, whether that was a nursing home or a hospital or a refugee center or a prison or wherever it was. And then 
to communicate if they made this dedication to communicate to that facility that they were being that this blessing was being offered for them and we just found there was a wide open space with that idea of a mm-hmm. blessing that mm-hmm. it, there was a right time and in other contexts people could you know reject that blessing and be very hostile to that mm-hmm. but we just found that was something that worked within the public square there is some open openness to receive this this words yes. in times of fear anxiety uncertainty yes certainly your other main project is the discovery gospel choir i know that choirs are face a big challenge to rehearse these days but beyond the particular crisis that covid brought you have started that choir as part of an initiative of inclusion yes And I'd love to hear from you a little bit about demographic change in Ireland and your personal involvement in bringing people that are different from different ethnicities and cultures together. Well, I started, I went to Uganda when I was in 2001 and you had the Lord's Resistance Army, which was a Christian fundamentalist military group. And I met many refugees that were affected by that. And literally, as soon as I came back, I started studying theology in Trinity College in Dublin. And the, and I got involved on my first day in a homework club for unaccompanied minors who were here without their, their parents as refugees. And the first student I was assigned in this St. Vincent de Paul homework club was a Ugandan refugee that was fleeing the Lord's Resistance Army. So as a young student, you know, the global became the local. And every twice a week, I was meeting this young student for homework uh, grinds. And out of that homework club came the kernel of the group that formed the Discovery Gospel Choir. So I, I'm a co-founder. There was uh, essentially two of the Irish uh, university volunteers with two of the unaccompanied minors were the really core group that founded the Discovery Gospel Choir, and it's grown and grown and grown and has lots of different dimensions. It has a community um, training group at the moment. It has a weddings group, and it has the main choir, and it has about 17 different nationalities. So Ireland has always, as, a, as an island, has a seafaring migratory, you know, we've had Vikings and Normans and Fearbolgs and Celts and all the various uh, different seafaring nations but that in the last 20 years, particularly, we did an economic boom called the Celtic Tiger that brought about the first non-European large-scale migration of African, Asian, and South American uh, peoples to Ireland. So in a way that the United Kingdom and the Netherlands and France and other European countries have been asking these questions much more deeply for much longer, it's come to Ireland much newer, and therefore we've, we've always said, can we learn from the mistakes of others and can we, can we get this right in Ireland? It's hard to know. I think there's enough evidence to suggest that we're doing some things well and enough that says we're not doing it well. But that's the, the Discovery Gospel Choir is an intercultural choir for a new Ireland. And I think it's a, it's a lovely initiative to use not only the arts, but the message of the gospel to unite people that come from very different backgrounds, cultural settings together and join them in, in, in one project that makes a common identity. And, and I would say that the biggest thing through COVID for us was not COVID, was actually the murder of George Floyd and the renewal of the Black Lives Matter movement. And that has asked us to cause us to ask some deep questions. And we, we actually had a, a session on what day, a session two, two days ago on nonviolent communication tools and how we can kind of speak some kind of language tools and resources to help us talk about issues of, of racism. 
We had another session culture coach that I had met at the Calvin conference last January. Um, Nikki Lerner did an amazing session with us about four or five weeks ago on culture coaching. I, I mean, I'll give you one example. One of the members of the choir was born in Nigeria, but has spoken very publicly about her experiences of racism growing up in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has founded a company called Mayo Prince, M-I-O Prince, which is a, a clothing company. And Pharrell Williams and Jay-Z have just brought out a song called Entrepreneur. Uh, which is looking at black entrepreneurship around the world. In essence, it's a kind of response to Black Lives Mm -hmm. Matter. And Florence from Discovery is in Pharrell Williams' new video, Entrepreneur, as an Irish entrepreneur, Mm because he went all around the world and got all this global. So that becomes a conversation talking point, and that becomes a whole series of things. We've done how to do all of that on Zoom and we haven't physically met and we're, mm-hmm. we're feeling drained and morale is, is kind of getting sapped as a result of not being able to physically meet. But, but on the other hand, we've, we've yeah, like I say, there's, there's a season that we've had to ask profound and very deep questions of, as our, of ourselves as well. And uh, for me, it's fascinating to see how we really live in this global world. That's something that very tragic that happened here had that impact across the Atlantic Ocean and impacted also your community and sparkle conversations on race and, and racial justice in, in a very different context. Well, th- th- there were protests here uh, at mm-hmm. the American embassy uh, during the height of lockdown. And then the, the police made arrests because mm-hmm. people were, were breaking lockdown. Breaking, so, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's had a profound impact worldwide. I'd like to ask you a last question to, to close this time together. Uh, you, I can't stay here talking for hours. And my question is about the learning that you uh, have experienced throughout this crisis. What wisdom do you think has been especially important and what would you like to share? If you have to share one or two concepts with our community, our learning community, what would you highlight as a key learning? I keep being drawn back to the inner self and thinking of scripture and wilderness and wilderness in hebrew is the word midbar which comes from the root word dabar which is is to speak so when we cut out the noise and the clutter and the chaos and we come to still our hearts or we come to somewhere that may appear to be barren or empty or rudderless or without any direction it actually paradoxically or ironically can be the, the place where god speaks to us the most clearly so we've been confronted with our, our families and our homes and to forge our identity away from our work or away from our studies and to press in on our inner selves. And I mean, for some, there's, you know, that there's very marked increase in domestic violence here, very marked increase mm-hmm. in mental health issues. So it's been a pressure cooker environment in, mm-hmm. in some ways. And therefore, people have, have struggled immensely with it. And obviously, the, the, the whole challenges of unemployment as a particularly per- pertinent example of that. But it's caused everybody, the most important person or the, you know, the wealthiest person, the presidents, everyone has been forced to dig deep and to, to look deep within themselves. And I just think of that wilderness, the time Jesus, the 40 days and 40 nights, the uh, you know, Mark's gospel says the first thing he encounters was the wild beasts. Mm-hmm. And is it the wild beasts of the wilderness or is it the wild beasts of, of the inner self? Mm-hmm. And then after the wild beasts comes temptation. So, so that it, it has been like a wilderness experience. And, and that, that asks all the questions of 
faithfulness and our relationship with God. And I, I, I think any honest person will say that all of that has been tested and maybe reshaped and reformed through, through COVID. We've all gone through this intense period. And of course, 40 days of wilderness for Elijah or Moses and the Israelites, the 40 years, 40 is, is the number of weeks in a pregnancy. So it's a, it's a rebirth experience mm-hmm. as well. And, and therefore, what, what started is, is different to what ends. So may we all be made new and renewed through this wilderness experience that is COVID. Yeah, this is our prayer too, that this could bring a new time for our communities, for our churches, and, and for the entire world. Thank you very much, Philip, for being with us today and for sharing about your life and your ministry. And we really want, in this spirit of blessing, to also bless you and through you, your community, your church and your country. Bless you. Thank you so much, Maria. Thanks for listening. We invite you to visit our website at worship.calvin.edu to learn more about the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship, an interdisciplinary study and ministry center dedicated to the scholarly study of the theology, history, and practice of Christian worship and the renewal of worship in worshiping communities across North America and beyond.